Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A science story, huh? It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Erin Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about coming of age. Bildung's Roman, if you will. These will be stories about growing up, learning, coming into our own, figuring out our roles. I feel like this theme is actually pretty appropriate right now because this past week I was in Vancouver as Story Collider launched a brand new series of shows there. We actually launched in Wellington, New Zealand on the exact same day, but of course that day happened about 19 hours earlier than the one in Vancouver. Anyway, it was a lot like seeing Story Collider come of age to see us launch in these new places and take on these new communities. Although, of course, being eight years old, Story Collider is not quite ready for puberty. But I'm excited to share with you these stories today. Our first story is from Moni Avello. It was recorded in January 2018 at the Oberon Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The theme that night was Heroes and Villains. So my family arrives at a restaurant, and we make the fatal mistake of trying to sit at a table that Aika, my younger sister, did not choose. (laughs) The showdown begins. She unleashes a high screech that grows in both length and volume, the telltale signs of a fit. My mother, a petite, Japanese woman speaks to her in hushed tones, shh, ai trying to get her to calm down. My father, a tall, hefty, Cuban man, former Marine, not having it. He does the exact opposite, scolding her directly with, no, stop that, which only gets her going. And eventually he just picks her up kicking and screaming over his shoulder and just marches out of the establishment, not giving a damn about all the eyes on us. And my mother is trailing behind, mortified to be causing a scene in public, to be disturbing everybody around us. And amidst all this chaos is me. And I'm hanging out. Like, this is business as usual. Welcome to my childhood. So, Aiko was four when she was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, 
which today is the high functioning end of autism spectrum disorder. And it's a developmental disorder that manifests in social behavior. There's great interaction, um, oh, great difficulty with social interaction. There's need for routine and control. There's unusual emotional reactions to things and sometimes very unusual strong interest in topics. And I was five when we figured this out. And I actually don't remember much about when we did because for me it wasn't this big aha revelation. It was like saying that Aika was Aika. Yeah, she was weird. She liked crying babies. She would run to them to watch them cry. She once pushed a carriage over. The baby was fine. <laughs> you get the point. Um, you know, she threw these insane fits everywhere. She was super compulsive. She didn't listen to anybody. And that was her normal. And in my mind, we were siblings. And we were on the same playing field. And so I expected us to be treated the same, especially by our parents. No. So when I was nine, um, my family went to Juniper Springs, Florida for the first time ever to go camping. And my dad decides it would be brilliant to hike 10 miles into the campgrounds. So he loads himself, my mom, and me with tons of gear, and I'm carrying all of our water, which is one kilogram per liter, or 8.35 pounds per gallon, for those of you who don't speak metric. And the point is, it is heavy. Aika is carrying a regular backpack. Stroke of genius number two, we start out late in the day so that it begins to get dark and we are not near campgrounds yet. And my dad's starting to get all military on our asses. We can't stop now. Like, what's going to happen? And I am so tired of lumbering with this heavy bag while Ika's just flitting around on the trail. And I complain enough that we actually stop to trade bags. So I put on Ika's bag and it feels like feathers. And Ika puts on my bag and doesn't even last a minute before she starts to go, oh, just like, oh, we can't do that here. The bag comes back to me. And I'm like, all right, we're going to change tactics. Now, I'm go we're going to drink all this water, and by we, me, so that I don't have to carry this much on my back so that we get to the campgrounds before dark and we don't die in the woods at night. So we made it to campgrounds. It was fine. We had water. And it was a great time, and we never went camping again. This 10-mile hike really captured the core sense that I had growing up side by side with my sister. It often felt like my parents let Ika slide by with basically an empty bag while they handed me this heavy bag full of expectation and responsibility and struggle. And I get that I was the older sister and I could have like handled more weight, but like really we could have distributed that weight a little more equally between us. Like Ika could obviously handle more than a featherweight bag. And it just felt like with her, they just didn't even try. And that was so frustrating. And the reality was that my parents were just a phenomenal cultural clash all on their own. And my sister just kicked it into overdrive. They couldn't agree on how to handle her fits in private or in public. And my dad worked a lot and often abroad, which meant my mom was juggling the two of us by herself. And I see that now, those are really hard circumstances. But as a kid, I didn't get that. 
And there were no excuses in my mind. And so I just didn't go easy on Ika. Like, my mom would take us shopping, and Ika would be following me around, and I'd run away from her because, oh, get off my trail. And then she'd throw a fit, and my mom would be really mad at me. Or I'd kick her out of my room when my friends are over because, no, you can't participate. Standard older sibling stuff. But there was more serious stuff that I should have stepped up to the plate for, but didn't. Like when the neighborhood, hid, neighborhood kids made fun of her, and I said nothing, and I did nothing. I had this instinctual, you're on your own attitude towards her, and I never considered defending her when the outer world was being unkind. And this isn't to say that if someone was about to do serious harm to my sister that I wouldn't have said something, but I know it wasn't my primary response. One time in middle school, I disappointed my mother in something, and she was going tiger mom on me, yelling very harsh things, and I was getting really upset. And Aika comes into the room, and she tries to intervene, saying, stop yelling at sis. And I remember in that moment feeling so angry at her. I don't want your protection I don't deserve it. I wouldn't do this for you. And that moment really haunts me. Because at the core, Aika was a better sister than I ever was. And I bet that if the neighborhood kids were making fun of me, that she would have stood up for me. And to this day, I feel this deep shame that I let Aika down. I recently apologized to Aika about not having been a great sister. And this was via text because she doesn't like to talk. Also, I think she destroyed her old phone, probably in a fit. So she's chatting on me on her computer. And in great Aika fashion, she responds with a like, waving hand emoji. <laughs> and I type, did you just wave at me? Yeah. What does that mean? The wave. That means hello. <laughs> She's hilariously dry <laughs> in the emotions department. And she's always been brutally honest about how I treated her in the past. And she's also never held it against me. And Aika's moving forward. Aika's got dreams. She wants to be a cartoon artist. Her style is this odd mashup of Disney's It's a Small World meets South Park. She draws pictures of people from around the world with irreverent humor in there. And once in a while, there's genuine reflection about how she feels about herself. A girl looking down, saying, I wish I hadn't have mental retardation in me. And Aika struggles really hard with anxiety, and she'll send me the longest walls of text ever, saying things like, hey, sis, how's it going? Listen, at this moment, I am having a terribly hard time keeping my thoughts in the positive side by having the positive thoughts beat out the negative thoughts, but instead, the negative thoughts is winning over the positive, and it leads me to severe anxiety, two sad faces. And I don't know what to do. It's painful. And I don't know what to say to that, except I'm sorry. Aika needs help. And my parents are trying. 
and they don't want to involve me. They tell me to focus on myself, to focus on graduating on time, to focus on my career. But that's what I've always done. And I'm really sick of having always looked away. It's like the tables have turned, and Ika's now carrying the really heavy bag, except instead of water, it's full of her anxiety, her hopes, her frustrations. And my parents are giving me the real light bag and saying, don't worry about this, we'll take care of it. But that's not what I want. I want to help my family. And I want to help Ika. And I want to be the sister that Ika's always deserved. I want to be her champion. Thank you. That was Moni Avello. Moni transplanted herself from Miami, Florida to Cambridge, Massachusetts seven plus years ago in the pursuit of science and has yet to regret her northward relocation. Moni loves to social dance blues, salsa, and bacata. In her free time, she experiments with her favorite bacteria, Bacillus subtilis, trying to figure out how it blocks unwanted sex, because science is wonderful fun, and the PhD degree in biology from MIT is a nifty bonus. Before we move on to our next story today, a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Epic Reads and Invisible Ghosts. Invisible Ghosts is a heartfelt, sharply funny new novel by Robin Schneider, the author of The Beginning of Everything. It's a boy-meets-girl story with a major twist. Boy also meets girl's ghost brother. Rose and her brother Logan are pretty much inseparable. The only catch is that Logan died years ago in a tragic accident, and Rose is the only one who can see his ghost. Or so she thinks. Staying close to her brother has meant distancing herself from everyone else, but when a childhood friend moves back to town and sparks begin to fly, Rose finds it's becoming harder to choose between the boy who makes her feel alive and the brother she isn't ready to lose. Invisible Ghost has everything you need in a perfect summer read. Swoony romance, hilarious banter, and some tear-jerkingly honest moments of truth. It's a can't-miss contemporary romance, perfect for fans of John Green and Nicola Yoon. Invisible Ghosts is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. All right, welcome back. One quick note uh, before we move on. As you may be aware, June is Pride Month. So to celebrate that, every one of our episodes in June will include a story from someone who identifies as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. And we'll be sharing highlights from some of the relevant stories in our back catalog on our Twitter and Instagram feeds this month. So follow us there for more as well. These stories are so important and they hit home for me. My first forever friend and the only scientist I knew, really, until I met Ben and Brian and the Story Collider got started in 2010, is my little brother Dan. Dan has always loved science for as long as I can remember. But when he was in high school, his lab partner refused to work with him and told him gay people can't do science. Which, I mean, come on dude, Google Alan Turing or something. But when my brother approached his teacher about this, his teacher didn't care. Told my brother to just deal with it. So what should have been my brother's favorite class became something that he dreaded every single day. And it broke my heart that his passion for science and learning would be discouraged by the exact person who was supposed to be encouraging it. 
And when I think about it, it explains a lot about this recent report I read in Nature magazine about a study from Bryce Hughes at Montana State University that found students from sexual minorities leave science, technology, engineering, and math degrees at higher rates than their heterosexual classmates, regardless of aptitude or enthusiasm. So I believe these stories are important to share. Thank you for joining me and listening to them this month. And with all that said, our next story today is from Morgan Gibbons. It was recorded in October 2017 at Busboys and Poets in Washington, D.C. The theme that night was Odyssey. So I have the perfect body because it's mine. And growing up, there were kids who could run faster than me. Or kids who were dunking at 12 years old, tongues flailing from their mouths as they did their best Michael Jordan impression. I was not that kid. (laughs) I was usually in the school library reading the latest fantasy or science fiction novel we had gotten. Or at home playing video games, trying to figure out when best to revive a fallen character so that we could go on and beat the boss in its final, final, final form. And my favorite video game was Resident Evil. It had zombies, misbehaving corporations, a flesh-eating virus that made anyone infected human flesh-craving monsters, an infection that turned the body against itself. Oh, I thought this shit was amazing. (laughs) And then I got infected with an estrogen-laden, hormone-fused invasion known as puberty. (laughs) And just like in the horror movies, the call? Oh, the call was coming from inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) And I was a kid of deep imagination, like often I would pretend that I was a swashbuckling pirate sailing the seven seas, rescuing damsels in distress. Or a swarthy Lothario who knew just what words to say to make women swoon. My path was clear. The man I was going to become even clearer. But what was apparently clear to everyone else, and not to me, was that at some point as a preteen, I would enter the bathroom and there I would find it. In the crotch of my underwear, a small red dot the sounding of an alarm, the clarion call of biological reality coming toe to toe with everything I had imagined for my future and my dreams. So of course I called my mother. Ma, Ma, what is this? What is this right here? Child, that's your period. We talked about that. Remember? Oh, I remembered. We talked about it the same way we talked about the black death in school. (laughs) It was something that happened to other people a long time ago and would never, under any circumstances, happen to me. Okay, a period. Um, How do I get rid of it? (laughs) How do you get rid of it? Baby. Menopause. Okay, man, man on what, wait, where do I get that? You don't get, it's, 
It's something that happens to little girls who become women and their bodies just stop making enough estrogen. Well, I ain't a little girl and I'm not a woman. Morgan Dion, little boys do not get their periods. <laughs> and what had started, what had started as a clarion call across the bow of my underwear became a full-on hormonal invasion as estrogen crested the hills of my ovaries, set up residence in the confines of my uterus, declared itself queen of my body. But there was hope. My mother had given me the key. I only needed to go through menopause. <laughs> and quickly. <laughs> And even as it became harder to like a body that began to soften in all the wrong places, I still loved it. It was the reason I could turn so many pages in my favorite novels, and it gave me hands that let me write the stories that ran around in my brain itching to be placed on the page. But never has the idea of unconditional love been tested in quite the way it was as when estrogen decided to take up residence on my chest of all places. <laughs> Setting up dune-like homes in which it could live. <laughs> and I found myself in a department store with my mother as she waved training bras in my face. Baby, just try on one of these. I am not going to do that. They are covered in rainbows and butterflies and flowers. We ain't got no training bras with swords and shields. Maybe a zombie or two. Why on earth would they put zombies on a training bra? But the more important question is, what was estrogen training for? It was already more than halfway to winning the war. And I tried to fight it. I engaged in guerrilla warfare that I learned from playing video games like Final Fantasy Tactics. And a blog post in 2002 told me through really rigorous scientific research that they had learned that if you ate hazelnuts, pecans, and almonds, you could increase your testosterone production. Which led to me dumping an eight pound bag of pecans in front of a bewildered cashier. You are making a lot of pies. <laughs> I ain't making no pie. Cakes. No cakes. <laughs> you gotta be making cookies, yo. No, look, okay, nuts make testosterone, and I, I just need my nuts, okay? <laughs> and then I'm gonna go. And it would take years of false starts before I finally figured out how to fight back. I would first have to hear the word transgender in middle school from Oprah Winfrey, of all people. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk to the families of children who say they were born in the wrong bodies. Transgender children! and I would have to find a doctor who believed me and was willing to prescribe testosterone. But when I found him, never have I felt the type of joy I felt as when that hormone began cresting through my bodies, taking over territory that had long been ceded to the forces of estrogen. 
and hot on its heels was menopause. <laughs> and sure, it meant that at 25 years old, I would go racing to the industrial freezer at my former job, standing in negative zero temperatures as steam and mist rose off of my head. But I had a mission, and I had a purpose. <laughs> and yeah, looking back, <laughs> when my mom said that, baby, you got to wake for menopause, I'm pretty sure that I only heard man on pause. And it would take time and years for me to learn to fight back. But one day I did, and I hit play. But on the right hormone this time, thank you. That was Morgan Gibbons. Morgan is a storyteller and performer based in Washington, D.C. He has performed at Story District's Top Shelf, Creative Mornings, D.C., Little Salon, and others. He has been featured in the Washington Post, Upworthy, BuzzFeed, and he's participated in a panel of the 2017 AFI Documentary Film Festival Forum titled Hear Me Now, The Art of Nonfiction Podcasting. Morgan is the creator and host of the podcast Dispatches and uses his podcast to explore the intricacies of identity, culture, and the complicated nature of human interaction. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Story Collider is directed by Liz Neely and me, Aaron Barker, with help from our amazing team, Stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Christine Gentry, Ari Daniel, Katie Wu, Mariam Zaringhalem, and Shane Hanlon. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Oberon and Busboys and Poets for hosting these shows, and to all of our new producers, Daisha Herbulak, Caradun Roberts, Kayla Glenn, Armin Mordazavi. Thank you for helping us grow up. Thanks for listening. <laughs>